Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Three Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. And, and we have every one of our lines wide open. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. We can get your questions answered thoroughly for you and chat a little bit with you. And That's right. Put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right. And we sure wish you'd give us a call if you happen to be in Baton Rouge or you happen to be outside of the calling area. Give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out. Give you some advice. There you go. And there's a free Agco t-shirt in the works for the farthest distance caller this morning. That's right. Whoever calls from outside of the 225 area from the furthest distance will send them an Agco t-shirt, the much-coveted classic edition. Yeah, and if you'd like (laughs) your, your picture on the website, you can always take a picture in front of a local landmark with your shirt on and send it to us and we'll get that put on the website that's right we like doing that because it kind of shows where all our listeners are are at dispersed (laughs) (laughs) around the country all right i had a fellow that emailed earlier this week and he was saying he was from up northern part of canada he says, yeah, I really get a kick out of listening to you guys talk about how hot it is down there. <laughs> <laughs> you got no clue when it's 30 degrees below zero. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? But, yeah, you get different perspectives from folks all over the world and all over the country and so on and so forth. South Louisiana, of course, the heat is the big thing, although it's it's very nice this delightful morning. this morning, about 78, 79 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit, just great for an August. But some of the problems that we see down here are probably a lot less heard of in other parts of the country. For instance, batteries in right. the south don't last very long the extreme heat like any chemical reaction when you heat it up you generally make it operate more intensely or faster or at a greater rate and so the heat of the summer is accelerating the chemical processes going on within that battery correct battery is optimized i think i read for around 80 degrees now i was gonna say about 78 80, 78 degrees. 80 degrees somewhere right. And that's where it's supposed to operate. And when you bring it up to maybe 110 to 115 degrees under the hood of a car, it's actually operating at much beyond its normal mode. So it's using it up a lot faster. The acid is eating away at the lead. It's forming the chemicals and so on and so forth. But it takes a toll on it. Although it is producing the proper amount of electricity, even if, let's say, a battery is down by 20% and it's overrunning at 20% because of the heat, it's going to operate fine and you're not gonna have a problem the problem is going to come in on the first cold day and that's why people always think well the cold kills the battery well Correct. no the cold reveals the battery right it was dying the whole summer yeah the heat. it was already way below capacity however the heat was boosting it up to the point where it was still operating well the first cold day now it drops below its capacity temperature goes down the efficiency of the battery drops way down so when you get in on that first cool morning click 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 click, click. <laughs> <laughs> if you get that yeah, and every year is sort of funny, but the first cold snap that we get of the year, generally we run out of batteries. We do. We keep a shelf full, stock full of batteries. We and keep quite a few of the popular batteries in stock, and we keep multiple of the real popular applications, but we generally run out of batteries. And when you call the wholesaler to get more, a lot of times they're out of them. Right. Because it's just it's sort of funny. That's just the way it operates. But I read somewhere where it's not actually the coal necessarily that's killing the battery. The coal is revealing the problem. The problem actually began back in the summer when it was real hot <laughs> sure and if that battery is three years old it's on its way out anyway yeah the average lifespan of a battery i think across the united states is about 38 months and of course slightly less in the south because it is so hot down here normally 36 months is a pretty good average i find right a lot of some of them will go farther yeah some of them right. won't go as far that's right some of them are going to die at two years it's like people some of them die young some of them live exactly to ripe old age but 
Some of them may make four years. I've seen a very few go five years even and right. possibly even longer. But I guess the point is, or my point is, that if the cost of a battery, let's say, it, let's just say $100 make the math easier. Okay. If I keep it for five years, then it costs me $20 a year. Correct. Okay. If I keep it for three years, it costs me $33 a year. Okay. So what's it, $13 well, to risk being left stranded? And that, the first tow bill is going to cost you 80 bucks. Well, that's right. That's right. You know, it's just To me, it's not practical. I just My battery gets three years old. I pull it out and go ahead and replace it. Sure. And if you want my own one, then let me know, and I'll save it for you. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. Put it in your car, and you can go ahead and... <laughs> Yeah, I don't like the idea of being stranded somewhere. And not only that, but a weak battery has other ramifications. It can reset the memory on your car, which can cause you to fail the state inspection when sure. you go down. It can strain the starter because the starter is operating below the voltage it's designed to operate at. Strain the alternator because the alternator is working a lot harder to try to maintain that. Even things like the cooling fan motors and all that are designed to operate at a certain voltage. And the alternator is going to do its best to maintain system voltage. Sure. But under certain conditions, alternators are just not powerful enough to keep up with the load, and the battery subsidizes the alternator. And with today's technology that's in vehicles, there's a strain on the electrical system. It's really a strain to keep up because an alternator, as it starts to turn faster and faster, it produces more and more power. Correct. And most of them are rated at, oh, I don't know, I guess average today is maybe 100 amps, 120 amps or so. But that's at probably 2,000, RPM. Correct. That's... Now, at idle, where it's turning 600 RPM, it's not producing nearly that much. No, it's not. And if you got the air conditioner on, the two cooling fans are running on the radiator because you're sitting still and it's very hot outside. The headlights are on. Headlights are on. The wipers maybe are going, radio on, so on and so forth. You may be drawing 80 or 90 amps out of the system, and that alternator may only be capable of producing 60 amps. Correct. At so an the, idle. So, so the battery is actually subsidizing the rest of that's it. That's right. Current is flowing out of the battery into the system to make up the difference, and a good battery can do that as long as you drive it at a sustained speed for long enough for the alternator to actually put the charge back when it's able. Right. And that's a problem we see a lot with folks who don't drive their cars very much. They have very, very, very much shortened battery life. A lot of times they'll get less than six months to a year out of a battery. And it's because when they start the car, it's pulling, say, 200 amps out of this battery to start the car. Then they crank it up, and they drive very slowly somewhere. They cut it off. They start it again. They draw more out. And it never gets driven fast enough for maybe the engine to get up to speed for the alternator to turn fast enough to recharge that battery. And each time a battery is discharged, the plates start to sulfate, and when they recharge, that is broken up. The sulfur goes back into the electrolyte, becomes sulfuric acid, and the lead becomes lead oxide or whatever. But if that sulfur is allowed to remain on those plates, it's called sulfation. It starts to insulate the plate. And if it remains on there for any length of time, then it won't be removed next time it's charged. So it just starts to die very quickly. And that's what happens to batteries. We have a number of people who just don't drive their car. Maybe they have a classic car and it sits a lot. Maybe they just don't go much or they have two or three cars. They don't drive. That seems to be the issue a lot we've seen lately is two people have three cars. Yeah. Well, one of them's not going to get driven that much. (laughs) That's right. In my case, I got five cars. Mm -hmm. One of them doesn't get driven that much. That's right. So it's kind of hard to, to justify putting a battery in it every year mm-hmm. if you're not going to drive it. Mm-hmm. But that's what's going to happen because that battery is just going to die. And there are some computerized chargers that you can buy now that will maintain a small trickle charge on the battery. Those may help a good deal. You have to do your research, too, because mm-hmm. there's different types of batteries out. Now, there's the regular flooded battery, mm-hmm. which is has the liquid. That's the, right. The electrolyte. Electrolytes in it. Mm-hmm. 
Then there's actually a, a glass mat battery, right? which every, all the stuff is wrapped in a mat. More like a paste. Right. Mm-hmm. And you actually got to have a different type charger That's right. to charge those. They are charged in a different process. And even the way a battery is charged depends a lot on how it's discharged, how it's used, and so on. It's not like one size fits them all. Right. And that's why some of the new computerized chargers are so good because they can actually pick up on that. They know the, the amount of discharge, and they will charge based on that. They may charge at one rate for a certain amount of time, then cut back to another rate, and then cut back to a third rate. They've gotten a lot smarter in the, the last few years. Well, with the use of microprocessors, they can just do a whole lot more. Even the modern charging systems on cars, it's not at all like it was just a few years ago. You'll see alternators now that have maybe five different charging strategies. Correct, depending on the application, you know, what's going on with the vehicle at the time. Correct. You know, know, there's one for towing. That's right. There's one just for idling. There's several different systems. Just depends on what the vehicle's doing at the the moment. Right. If it sees a battery nearly discharged or well discharged, it's going to charge one way. If it sees a battery with a proper charge on it, it's going to maintain it a totally different way. So that makes testing alternators very, very difficult because they are PCM controlled. And many times we'll get folks come in, they say, I had my alternator checked and it's okay. Correct. And you check it and it's not okay. And what it is, someone is either taking it out, putting it on a test stand, charging it, and it may operate under those conditions. However, the PCM is not able to pick up the signals that it needs. It's not enabling it to charge. So sometimes it's actually a computer problem. Sometimes a sensor problem. Sometimes it is an alternator problem. Uh-huh. And it just takes some really sophisticated equipment to even determine which it is. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I lost it. <laughs> well, you, you're kind of young. I, I, I understand me doing that. Hey, but, now. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> but yeah, it's just difficult. It's not at all like it was just a very few years ago. And Alternators are not inexpensive today either. No, they're not. For instance, the one on a Toyota Camry runs mm-hmm. about 450 bucks. That's right. And that's just right off the top of my head. We changed one last week. Yeah. Even a Chevrolet pickup truck like a Silverado or something can easily be up to $300 uh, in many cases more. Yeah. And most all of the alternators you're going to buy are going to be rebuilt or remanufactured. Very difficult to find a new alternator. And most of what they call a new alternator are actually... An imported knockoff, someone's taken an old alternator and looked at it, so yeah, we can build one like that, and they'll build a cheap knockoff rendition, and it is technically new, but it's probably not as good as a quality rebuilt original, because that was an original equipment alternator that was put back together properly. Correct. Sometimes those just don't even meet the standards. Yeah, we see that across the line in, in parts. Yeah, I'm real, real nervous when i see a new part nowadays it's not enough to see the word new you got to say okay now who built it how did they where build it come it? from where did it come from right what materials did they use did yeah. they build it back to spec well a lot of times i don't know i guess when the individual goes to maybe a parts store and buy something then there's a certain set of ramifications there if it goes bad then he's out a little bit of his time and whatever money but many times a warranty so he can get another one and he really doesn't mind doing that too much. He may change it three or four times, and he may even get lucky one of those three or four times and find get a good one, one at last. But in a shop, that's not practical because, number one, you've got a customer who's going to be very disappointed to have to come back. Sure. They're not going to understand that it was a part it wasn't you. They just know, hey, my car's still broke. Right. So you've got a reputation to think about, and also you've got a much higher cost in that you are paying people to replace these parts at a very high labor rate and – at in the time that you're redoing something, it's a lost opportunity that you could have been working on something else and making money. Right. And the way these new parts are set up, you have to turn in your old one as a core. That's when right. When you're turning in a factory core, 
and you're getting back a or whatever it is part. Mm-hmm. Well, when you go to take it, if you After go it to take it back three times, right? You go to take it back. They won't take that one back because right. it's not a factory part. Yeah, the original manufacturer, if you decide you want to go back with an original part, he may not accept this one because it's not the OEM part. Correct. It's, it's some junk that he can't rebuild. They so already it. know. So now you're into a core charge plus the cost plus the money you lost on the other one. So And the time you've wasted changing them. Exactly, plus all the inconvenience and what have you. So, yeah, it can be pretty significant cost involved there. Definitely. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Why don't you give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we would love to hear from you. We got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, sir. Yes, Good sir. morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Sir. Doing very well. Doing a great job. Thank you. Doing a great job. Listen, I have a... 2000 Ford Taurus. Okay. The door ajar light comes on. Mm-hmm. The dome light comes on. Yes, sir. Right. And I'm um, trying to figure out how to fix that on my own. Boy, that's going to be kind of tough, David. It's a fairly complex system. The way it works, it's got a sensor inside each door latch. Right. That sends a digital signal to what they call the GEM or the General Electronics Module. The GEM illuminates the lights. Now, right. if you got a Ford IDS, which is the Ford scan tool, you can plug in, and it'll tell you which door it is that's sending the signal, and you can go and look at that door and see if it's that sensor or so on and so forth. Or if it's none of the doors sending the signal, then you know it's a failure in the gym module itself. Without such equipment, I mean, you're almost guessing because you don't know which door is causing it, if any of the doors are causing it. And Ford, if I'm not mistaken, on, on some vehicles they will sell you the sensor in the latch. Some you got to buy an entire latch. So it would be probably more practical to take it to someone and have them diagnose the problem and then fix it yourself if you care to. Just because without the data and without a way to read the data, you've got to have something that can do bidirectional communication with the computer because it's all computerized. It's not an analog signal like in the old days where you had a little switch that would close and it would just send a 12-volt reference and a ground. It's nothing like that. It's a signal that is pulsing back to a general electronics module and i gotta say we've had some failures in the gyms that right. cause that it's, it's not a sensor at all it's, it's the gym module itself has malfunctioned it could even be something as obscure as just a ground wire off anywhere in the car and that's just what the gym module is interpreting is that door ajar so it's real 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 difficult without some way of communicating fairly easy in a shop with the right equipment to tell you what it is and if it's one of the door jar switches and if that switch is available then you could go in take the door panel off take the latch out change the switch put it back together but 
Again, trying to do it yourself, you don't have a way without lab scope or something to read the signal. I mean, if you had a lab scope, you could go into each door, read the signal, and see which one it is, if any of them. Right. But again, if it's an intermittent problem, I mean, how are you going to do that? Right. So right. I think you're probably going to end up spending way, way more time and money. I mean, the only thing you might be able to try to do, David, is maybe take and see if you can duplicate what causes it. For instance, if you shake this door, does it come on or something like that? If you tap on the door, does it come on? Then that would give you a little bit of insight. I can sympathize with you because I'm the same way. I hate to call anybody to do anything. I like to fix everything myself. But, man, I'm as I get older, I'm realizing things. I just got it's cheaper for me to get somebody else to tell me what it is. It's it's a car that's not driven very much. Mm -hmm. and, uh, probably if there's a problem, I'm thinking the driver door. But it could very well be. And what you could try, if you care to, is go ahead and take door panel off, go to the driver's door latch, see there'll be some wires going into it, unplug those wires, and see if it quits doing it. I guess that would be maybe one way to check. Of course, it may throw some other kind of problem if it's unplugged. But right. if it quits doing it, then you could have, I'd say, relatively sure that that's the problem. And it's, yeah. it's probably something you don't want to let keep going on because if it's turning the lights on and everything, mm -hmm. you're going to start discharging the batteries. Well, that's Correct. right. And, and see, you end up with a dead battery. It may even regress into something that will affect your anti-theft system where it'll think the car is locked when it's not or unlocked when it's not. And it can make the car not start. It can also ping some of the other computers and wake all the computers up, which will run a battery down pretty fast. It can devolve into all kinds of other things. Okay. All righty. Yeah, that's a, uh, I figured that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what's wrong with that $3 switch they used to have that would just plunge out and fix? You know, it, it never broke. When it worked you, for you years. It for $3, yeah. yeah. it worked for years. Yeah, everything's just so ridiculous nowadays with all the electronics and all. And, and it's pretty much every part of the car, even on something that old, it's, it's just way beyond what most people can deal with without all kind of specialized equipment a lot of that comes from technology and a lot of it comes from faster assembly on the assembly line yeah it's just you know it's all there can, for them right that's right it's all one piece they bolt it in they're done yeah you know it's not right. like they got to put a switch here put a latch there yeah. do this do well, that all one the hardware's in place they just write a little software and whoop, right they're gone you know until mm -hmm. you got to fix it <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay guys all right david appreciate you. yeah all right thanks calling in Bye-bye. Have a good one. Uh -huh. You too. 499 The number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we would love to have you. And we've got Charles online. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Okay, I'll be brief with you. I have a 2007 GMC Sierra. Okay. I'm having sensor problems. A sensor keeps coming on saying check tire system. Yes, sir. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that's called a tire up, pressure monitoring system. Yeah, I, ha I air up all my tires yes, correctly. Mm-hmm. And it stays on. I yes, might okay. go off for a day and it'll come back Yeah, on. the most common thing, Charles, would be that, well, most common two things. Number one is that the tires may have been rotated and they did not relearn the sensors because you have to go back and tell it that the tires have been moved because it's looking for the tire to be in a certain position. Uh -huh. And it's a procedure for resetting that. And it's also a scan tool that does it. The second thing would be that one of the sensors in one of the tires may actually be malfunctioning. And there's this little battery and a little transmitter inside each tire. Okay. And those can die out. When the battery dies out, then it's going to quit transmitting. And it may do it intermittently. And that's when it's going to kick that on. Brian, you know those a lot. One other thing that it could be. Mm -hmm. There is a high end on the settings if the air pressure goes over a certain amount it'll turn the light on right just like okay. it goes if it goes under a certain amount it turns the light on there's a threshold okay. there you have to operate in and mm -hmm. what happens with tires is they'll heat up about 10 percent the pressure will raise about 10 percent when they get hot and i've mm -hmm. seen that go over the threshold and mm -hmm. turn the lights on that's right okay so if you're running 44 pounds in the tires 
right. You may be on the tie end of the threshold. And if the tire gets hot, it it's may go up to say more. it may go to say forty eight pounds or something like that, and that's above the threshold, so it'll trigger the light. Oh, I see. Okay. One more question. You bet, go ahead. On my engine. Mm-hmm. I get an oil change. I'm using five W thirty. Okay. And and I have hundred and forty one thousand miles on it. Yes, sir. And everybody tells me I should go to a little heavier oil. Absolutely oh, no. not. No, 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 absolutely not. 5W30 good. is good for the life of that vehicle. See, that comes from a total misunderstanding of all viscosity on the part of most people. Mm-hmm. And even the guys in the oil change places don't seem to get it. I've heard them say, well, 5W30 is too thin in our hot climate, so go to 10W30. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. They're both 30 weight all when they're hot. It's okay. just that when they're cold, a 530 can respond like a 5 weight, whereas a 1030 is going to respond like a 10 weight when right. they're cold. That's at zero degrees Celsius. When okay. they're hot, they're both 30 weight. It's identical all. So it's not even a thicker all. So it, Some of that mm-hmm. comes from them not wanting to stock several uh, weights of oil. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it happens mm-hmm. a lot in the industry. Whoever you're dealing with doesn't want to stock but maybe two weights of oil. Right. They may want two most popular weights. And 1030 yeah. is cheaper than 530. Exactly. So, <laughs> so everything gets 1030. A vehicle should not be modified. The specifications that they give you are going to be good pretty much for the life of the vehicle. We used to hear all the time, well, my car's starting to burn a little oil, so I'll put thicker oil in it. Well, all that's going to do is make it burn more, more oil. That's because right. when you put thicker oil, it's going to boost the oil pressure, which is going to throw more oil on the cylinder walls. It's not going to run off as fast, so it's going to make harder for the rings to control. So that's one of those old wives' tales that actually flies in the face of logic. But no, 5W30 is the perfect all for that. And when a vehicle gets older, Charles, it actually needs a little bit more frequent oil changes. So if you've been changing it whenever, it wouldn't be a bad time to go to maybe a little more frequent oil changes on if you want to do something, give it a little break. Kind of like an older man needs a little better care than a young man. Yeah, right. Now, how about this high mileage oil? No, it's just marketing stuff. Regular oil, same oil you've been using all along, will do you just fine. Made 141, it'll probably make 241. Yeah, just stick with good. the same brand. Same exact oil. They're, all the oils are good, just the additive packages between them are different. Not always compatible. And you may end up with a problem, you know, burning a little oil if you start changing brands on it. But Correct. That's why I like to stick with one place to change the oil. They use the same brand oil, and that way you have no problem. I've seen cars come in with five different oil change stickers on them from five different places. Right. So, all right. All right, Mr. Appreciate Charles. Appreciate Charles. Well, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav's, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me. And take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I got another oil change question. Okay, okay. good. 
I've got an 08 Tundra. Yes, sir. And I had the oil changed a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And this morning, you know, just out of habit, I always pop the hood and check things out. Yes, That's sir. a great and, habit to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, they seem to have overfilled it. I seem to have a, an extra quart of oil in there. Is that a problem? It's a full quart over? It, uh, yeah, it seems to be about a quart over. Yeah, a quart would be a bit excessive. I mean, it's really not going to hurt the vehicle, Mike. That's kind of an old wives' tale. Everybody's going to blow the seals out and all that kind of stuff. It can't do that. I mean, a little bit over, like a quarter inch on a dipstick is really not a problem. If it's like a half inch to an inch higher on the dipstick than the full mark, then yes, that would be a problem. I would probably drain some out, just take it back to them, have them drain some out. What can happen if you get too much is that the crankshaft will start to beat through the oil and it'll start to pick up oil because it's spinning. It's called windage. It's spinning constantly. You want the oil level a certain distance below that spinning mass because it starts to pick up the oil, whip it into a vapor, and throw it around inside the crankcase. And that excessive, the vapor is going to be picked up by the PC system and scavenged out, but it goes into the catalytic converter, which is not a good thing. I would probably just take it back to them and say, hey, guys, look like it got a little over full. Go back and, and draw it out. A lot of places don't actually go back and pull a stick and check and check and check. What they do is they've got a book that tells them how much goes in, and they'll suck so much out or drain so much out and dump in what it takes back in. And if they can get all of the old oil out, they can end up with over full. I've actually seen them, too. They'll check it too soon. After they've changed the oil, before it runs before down, all the oil runs down in the pan, so you can check it properly. It shows low, so instead of waiting, they'll throw another quart in it, thinking it's the it's low. And by the it next morning, down. you get up next morning, now it's, it's all in the pan. Now it's over full. Mm-hmm. I've right. seen that happen quite. Yeah, frequently. everybody's trying to go quick, 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 quick. Saw a place down not far from the shop. I think it's five minute. Yeah, time to change an oil, and I mean, wow, really? <laughs> it takes me about an hour to do it properly, but. <laughs> I guess it's, it's just it can it can happen most of the time when people say it's over full you know it's it's up an eighth inch quarter inch on a stick and no that's not a real problem it's not a precise instrument but yeah if it's significantly high like a quart over I would definitely take it back and have them draw some out okay well that's what I'll do then Dallas. I okay. appreciate that all right Mike all right, thanks, sir. man bye-bye 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive eye we'd love to have you why don't you go and give us a call we'd like to try to help you out and point you in the right direction that's it clear up some wild tales for you <laughs> <laughs> here and ready to answer some more questions that's right and that is another thing we used to hear a lot of times about there's no wise tale about if you put too much fluid in a transmission it'll blow the seals out and all that right same thing with certainly it's not a good idea to dump two quarts too much into it because it can actually foam up it can come out the dipstick tube it could be a fire hazard under some conditions and there is a right amount you don't want too little you don't want too much but like everything in life, it's a matter of degrees. Most dipsticks are not a precise instrument. Right. They're not like measuring like a caliper or something. They're a general guide, and they'll tell you, yeah, this is about full, this is about empty, so on and so forth. And I've seen people bring their car in and say, man, I'm all changed, and look at it. It's, it's, it's like an eighth-inch old stick, and should I get an attorney? And No, 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 no. no. <laughs> that, that's not going to hurt anything. You know, just right. a little bit is not going to hurt anything. And like you said, Brian, when you're changing oil, if you check it too soon before it has time to run down, because you're dumping the oil into the valve cover usually. Correct. It has to run through the cylinder head. It has to find a hole to get down. It's going to run down the side of the block. It's going to go all the way down. And all you're putting in is, by oil standards, coal. I mean, even a 90-degree day is cold oil because oil is operating probably close to 275 degrees. Right. So it doesn't run real fast when it's cold, and it may not all drain down right away. Now, you take an older engine where maybe there's a little sludge, and it may take a long time to drain down. So if they just 
pour some oil in, pull the stick, check it, it may indicate low. They add some, the next morning you check it, and now it's over full. I see it happen all the time. We get them in the shop, older engines like that. We actually write the spec down mm-hmm. the amount of oil underneath the hood on the vehicles we service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you dump that much oil in it, crank it up, let the oil pressure come up, shut it off, walk back out there and pull the stick, and it still reads low. That's right. And what you've got to do is finish servicing the vehicle, check the rest of the fluids, fill the washer jug, whatever else needs under the hood, then recheck the oil. Mm-hmm. And Give nine times out of ten, it's right there where it's supposed to be That's with right. the correct amount in it. And the same thing, a lot of times folks will be maybe on vacation or whatever, they're driving their car, and they pull off to get gas, they pull the stick and check it immediately, and it shows to be low. Correct. Same thing, you have to wait a little while, make sure all the oil is circulating in the engine flows back to the pan before you're going to get an accurate measurement. And also, if you're sitting on unlevel ground. That will do it. Particularly like on a transmission, because that pan is fairly shallow, so the oil level can be changed on the dipstick quite a bit if right. you're off level. A, a transmission is a, a lot more susceptible to it than an engine oil pan because of the, like you said, the shallowness of the pan. It doesn't take very much variation in level to throw the stick off. To throw that reading off quite a bit. And transmission fluid is one of those things that's really kind of difficult to check. It is. We get a lot of times folks will bring their car and say, I check my fluid and it's fine. And my car is hesitating when I put it in gear, or slipping when I turn a corner. So well, that sounds like low fluid. No, no, I checked it. I checked, and you check, and it's two quarts low. Right. And you say, well, why didn't they catch that? Because it's very difficult to check it properly. I've actually got an article on the website on checking transmission fluid on the cars that still have dipsticks. Right. And it's a number of things you have to do. Number one, it has to be at full operating temperature before you can check it. And that's checking when it's cold, it's going to show low. Operating temperature is 175 degrees. Right. So you're going to have to drive this thing about 20 minutes before you check it. Sure, it has because to be, two or three miles is not going to do no, it. No, it's not going to warm it up fully. It has to be on level ground. It has to be running and either in park or neutral, depending on the design of the car. Most things check in park nowadays. A few of the old, old cars just check in neutral. Uh-huh. And when you pull the stick out, you have to wipe it off, put it back in, and then draw it out again and check it again. And when you read that stick, this is the most important thing of all. you got to read both sides of the stick. Right. Because Only just because the scale is on one side does not mean that is the height. Correct. If one side is showing way over full and the other side is showing at full mark, the lowest reading on the stick is the proper reading. The reason being that stick is going into a puddle of oil, and it can't correct. Uh, it's go, it can't go below where it is. But on the other side of the stick is where the torque converter and all that's turning. The gears are rotating because the motor is running. It can sling all up on one side of the stick, but the other side of the stick will be the accurate reading. So if one side shows way over full, the other side shows low, there's no way it can go below what the level is. Right. So the lowest reading on that stick is the correct reading. And if there's a bubble in that reading right. use the low side of the bubble that's right if you have a reading up say an inch on the stick and then an air gap and another reading maybe an inch and a half down on the stick that lowest reading is the proper reading correct not the highest reading and so it's very very easy to go wrong on that you have to be pretty careful and like you were saying that is on the applications now that still have a dipstick a lot of the new applications do not have a dipstick on them anymore They've actually got a different procedure for checking the transmission fluid. Yeah, and that can be pretty involved as well. Some of them require a factory scan tool to even check the fluid. You have to actually go and have an internal fluid level sensor, and it it reads the temperature, it reads the fluid level sensor and all that. Other ones have special tools you have to do. Some of them just require you to jack the car up, take a drain plug and a fill plug out. I mean, like the Ford 55R series transmissions, like in your Explorers and all that. Uh Uh-huh. 
it's got two sets of plugs on it. It's got a small plug. Small you take plug. that one out to check it. Correct. And you take the bigger plug out to drain and it. You drain it. So Correct. you got to be careful which plug you take out. One's in the middle of the other. And, and then you, you got to have a special pump to get the fluid back to put into it. Back it. in. Yeah, right. it doesn't have a fill plug, so you have to have to have something to screw into that little small hole and pump well, the fluid it, back in there. It doesn't have a dipstick. Yeah. It has a fill plug on it. You okay. just have to be able to find it, and then you have to have a pump ah, okay. to hand pump the fluid back into it because okay. you can't get a bottle can't in there a bottle or to pour it. Yeah, there you go. And there's actually an application that has a dipstick on it, but it's the same height as the top of the transmission. It's just a little plug there on top. You take the plug off, and inside it's a plastic dipstick. Hmm. I did one the other day. I forget what. It yeah. was on a Ford. Really? It was on a newer Ford. Huh. But it's got a little plastic dipstick under on, a cap. On a drain plug. On of. a drain plug. Where the dipstick tube would be, Yeah. that's where the plug is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Go <laughs> they, figure. They change them all the time. Yeah, let's make this as easy as we can for the next guy. Huh? Yeah, no kidding. Well, and a lot of what that comes down to is that it's easier on the assembly line, like you alluded to earlier. Sure. They can order this transmission with that little plug in it already filled up put it in the car and send it out whereas when they put a dipstick there's a chance someone maybe forget to put the dipstick in the dipstick could be loose it could come out it could cause a problem correct i remember reading, it down well years ago i read something that said parts left off cost nothing and don't cause service issues really yeah so they're gonna leave as many parts off as they can <laughs> I, that always stuck with me there, there are no unnecessary parts on a car oh that's some, a fact some engineer has already researched, and he's figured out anything he's, we can leave off, we're going to leave off. <laughs> that's right. He's got it down to the half a cent or even less. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that came out when they quit putting the drain plugs in the transmission pans. Uh-huh. Because the older cars had a drain plug. You could take it out. You could actually empty your transmission. They had drain plugs in the rear end. You could take it out, empty the all. Right. And then more and more of them quit putting those in. All they had was a fill plug, and you had to either remove the rear cover to get the all out. You had to remove the pan, pan. to get the all out. Right. And that's when the engineer says, well, he says, parts we leave out cost us nothing and don't cause service problems. <laughs> that's one more plug somebody didn't leave loose. Exactly. Didn't cross thread. One less, <laughs> one less warranty issue they got to deal one with. One less warranty issue they got to deal with. Of course, it pushes it off to the next guy. Of and, course. Uh, that's that seems to be the... The guy fixing your car seems to be the bottom of the line, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's got it in the valley there. That's it. All it all runs downhill. Right? <laughs> That's it. But, yeah, more and more and more cars are designed today. I get people who ask me, they'll say, well, why did they make that so difficult? I say, well, they didn't intentionally make it difficult. What it is, they made it easy for them to assemble. Correct. And that's the case with many, many things. One example is the, the fuel pump that's in the gas tank. And, of course, it's in there because the fuel actually cools the pump. It gives head pressure to the pump. So it has a number of reasons. But another reason is they can order a fuel tank assembly with the pump already in. They only have one component to install. Sure. They click the fuel lines on, little quick connects, and they go down the road. Whereas if you had a separate fuel pump, you'd have to install the gas tank, install the fuel line, install the fuel pump, and so on and so forth. So even though it would be easier to service, it's harder to assemble. A lot more connections there, a lot more time putting the connections together. Well, another example would be on Chevy pickups. Uh-huh. I think after 2004, there's no longer an external fuel filter. Fuel on, filter, right. On the vehicle. And what it is, the fuel filter is now built into the fuel tank with the fuel pump. And again, they're ordering this thing as an assembly. It comes in, they're putting the fuel tank in, they're sending it out. Now, what that eliminates for them is another step on the assembly line, sure. having to install a filter. It eliminates the possibility of that filter leaking. It eliminates all these little warranty issues that they may have had. Now, it shifts a huge cost back to the consumer at the time the filter plugs up because now you got to buy a new fuel pump and drop the fuel tank. Exactly. 
but that's really not in the cards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we, yeah, where do you think all these little fancy quick connects and all that right, came hey, from? We saved a nickel on every car we built, man. <laughs> oh, a nickel? Wow, that, that's big money then. Yeah, that's it. Hey, one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? And we got Todd online. Good morning, Todd. Hey, good morning. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Thank sir. Thank you. Listen, I got an O2 Buickless Sabre. The driver information display on the instrument cluster went out about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Just wondering, I understand it's a common problem. Just wondered if you know of any way to restore that, or do you know of any way to get the mileage uh, off of the OBD port? Yeah, the mileage will still be in there because that's stored inside the IPC. It's just not displaying it. Sometimes those can be repaired, Todd. We used to do that work at Agco at one time, and we just got so busy. I just don't have time to do them anymore. But there's several people around the country that can repair them for you if you take the unit out and send it out. You can also sometimes buy a rebuilt one and put in there. seems like to me there was a switch that you would push that would go bad on them. I don't remember if it was a reset switch or what it was. It was a little switch that would go bad, and that display would go out. Sometimes it's just a cracked solder joint or something. I mean, if you're real handy, what you could do is pull the instrument cluster out, get like a magnifying glass, and look at all the little solder joints real, real close, and see if you see a little tiny, tiny hairline crack around one or more of them. If you do, just take a soldering iron and just touch it, and it'll, that solder will reflow, and that fixes a lot of them. Not all of really? them. It could be a processor yeah. or something bad in it, and if that's the case, then you'd have to change the processor. But we do fix a lot of them just by resoldering all the joints on them. Yeah, how hard is it to pull the cluster? Oh, that's a piece of cake. Less than an hour. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I work up the nerve to try that. <laughs> you, you just got to be vigilant and look for all the little screws that are in it. Yeah. Because they got a couple of them that are hidden. Yeah, they kind of can't yeah, see yeah, them. I'm sure you can go on the internet and probably sure. find a diagram or something that would show you where they're all at. But it's just about, it comes right out the front. I got you. All right, yeah, it's a great car running good. I just mm-hmm. have no idea how many miles I have, and it's kind of disturbing. Right. Yeah, and I think to answer your question, most of them will give you the mileage with a scan tool. It'll certainly give you the engine hours. I would just have to see on that particular one. It just depends on what GM supports as far as the data they give you. Some of them you can read that. Some of them you can't. It just depends on what they're allowing you to see. Yeah. Well, but it'll, know, be, got, it'll be stored in there somewhere. I've got one of those Wi-Fi OBD transmitters mm-hmm. and, that, uh-huh. and that dash command program for the iPhone, and it's great. 
Mm-hmm. But, really? Uh, it, it does not show the mileage. Yeah, some of them just doesn't support that function for whatever reason. You'd have to plug a factory scan tool into it to, yeah. to see if it still supported that way. Well, you know, I, I asked the dealer if they could get the mileage out mm-hmm. of the OBD, and they said that they couldn't either. Well, it, uh, may, it may not. So, Not all so, of them is right. supported on it. just depends on how they wired that particular computer and what data it allows you to see. Some okay. of them do, some of them don't. I just have to plug into it and see. Understood. Well, right. Thanks much, guys. Enjoy the show. Okay, Todd. Right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Mm, bye-bye. 499-9526 number. You want to be part of the automotive line? We'd love to have you. Just in case you don't get a chance, call in. Some occurs during the week. week mm-hmm. right? You can always get your questions answered any time of the day or night by going to our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Find the contact bar on the upper left side. Mm-hmm. And you can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get your questions back within 24 hours and a lot of time sooner. That's right. And while you're on there, look around. I think you'll find some good information that'll help you out. And who knows? Yeah, that's it. There's <laughs> a lot of great learn, free learn information more about on a there. car than you thought you'd ever want to know. <laughs> got a couple of emails here that I want to mention. These are actually international emails that I got. One from, was from a gentleman, Mr. Woodhead, and he's writing from Ireland. All right. And says he enjoys the show. And I appreciate him writing in. Got another one from a gentleman in Scandinavia, from Finland, actually, who says, all right. he, he says he's on vacation in Greece and he yeah. happened to pick it up and he downloaded been, all the shows and <laughs> been listening ever since. That's right. So we get yeah. we're really getting out there. Gotta love the World Wide Web. That's huh? right. I'm telling you. Let's see if we can catch one more call before we run out of time. We got Isaac on the line. Good morning, Isaac. Hey, Lewis, how y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Lewis, I got an O eleven Buick across. Yes, sir. Okay, I bought the car that had twelve miles on it. Wow, okay. And and I would this is all chain question. Mm-hmm. Okay, I took it back. It had the oil change at 3,000 miles. Now, it only got 12,000 miles on it now. Okay. And I took it back to get the oil change. The man told me it wasn't time. Yeah. And I'm one of them old school 3,000 miles. Three I months. am too. Right. I just don't trust oil in my car longer than 3,000 miles. Well, especially, but, Isaac, the way you're driving it, because if it's an 11 and it's only got 12,000 miles, you're not putting a lot of miles. No, it's parked a lot. Yeah. Right. You'd be very, very wise to go ahead and change that oil, like you said, every 3,000. Now, that particular 11 mile is going to require a special oil called Dexos. It's yeah, a okay. synthetic blend oil that GM licenses. It doesn't have to buy it from GM. For instance, Mobile One will meet Dexos standard, but it has to have the word Dexos, D-E-X-O-S, written on mm-hmm. the oil somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all. I listen to y'all every Saturday. Well, great. Well, I appreciate you. As a matter of fact, I live right around the corner from you. You done, done <laughs> well, worked with me before. Well, good. Hey, we appreciate it, man. Oh, thank you. All right, Isaac. Thank thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, that's one of those things where I've heard that story before where someone wants to do the right thing, wants to take care of the car, and then mm-hmm. here's some jughead saying, well, that's not time. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I'll decide when it's time for my car to be right. changed all. I, I know how I drive. I know my conditions, and it's my money, and it's my car. So right. I want to change all. Just change all. I'm here Keep to your get opinion a, to yourself. I'm here to get a service. That's yeah. right. That's right. You want to do it or what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. We hear that a lot with transmissions. People going, well, that transmission sealed. No, it's not. Right. You know, it, it can be serviced. That's right. Let's see if we got time to catch one more call. we got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. Lewis and Brian, how are you all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing very well. Lewis, a quick question. I know the program is about over. Oh, my 07 Toyota come with V6. Mm-hmm. I want to change this. Do I have to go back 
Toyota Antifreeze, or could I use one or another major brand? I would go back with the Toyota Antifreeze just because it is a specific product. It's on 07, it's going to be the pink super long life, super long life, right. which is a pre mixed coolant, which is real convenient because you don't have to mix it with water or anything. It's already pre mixed. I tell you what, John, if you go to my website, there's two articles right there on the left hand side. One is understanding automotive coolant, and the other one is how to change automotive coolant. And Good between deal. those two articles, it will tell you more than you ever want to know about coolant, but it'll keep you from making a lot of the common mistakes that folks make changing coolant. Thank you, Lewis. All right, John. Weekend. Yes, Thank sir. You. Thank you. Four nine 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 five two six number. Might have time to squeeze one more. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. You'd make it quick. Depends <laughs> on how fast you are. Sir. That's it. One of the articles that I put on the website this week was on the life cycle of a car. Okay. And it goes into a car has a life cycle similar to a human in that it's when it's young, it doesn't have a whole lot of problems. Young man doesn't have too much problems. He can do a lot of things. As the car starts to get a little older, it needs better care. Sure. Which is actually the opposite of what a lot of people do. As the car gets older, they start caring for it less and less, and inevitably it fails. They say, well, I'm glad I didn't put any money in it because it failed. <laughs> but they actually brought on the failure. Sure. So. Hey, you want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning, every Saturday morning, wherever you might be in the world. We I'd really appreciate hearing from you. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate those written ratings because that actually moves us up with iTunes so more people can find us and sort of what it's all about. That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.